Thank you, Yeezy, for the awesome intro. Welcome to the third episode of Tech Tac Toe. Yeah, it's a bit of a tongue twister, but we're glad you're here with us today. I'm Nikhil Gola. And I'm Josh Byrne. And we are your co-hosts for this exciting journey through the tech space. Here we try to better understand how businesses are adapting to the digitally transforming world. Our episodes center on how MBAs drive value in tech and beyond. Do you like money? Money? What's that? You remember when we had jobs and we used to like have an income and all uh, it's pretty cool it's pre- I, I heard it's really cool do you like tech i love tech well i wouldn't be hosting fuqua's top rated tech podcast would i competition is fierce it well really then you're is. going to love today's topic fintech fintech short for financial technology this is how businesses are utilizing technology to make finance more efficient and more effective since the digitization of currency through credit cards in the mid-20th century Financial technologies have been a topic of interest. However, with Web 2.0 and consumers and businesses alike having more data and devices to transact with, there has been a surge in both fintech startups and established players innovating in this space. Think PayPal, Coinbase, NerdWallet. NerdWallet, what the bullies used to call me when they take my lunch money. (laughs) So personally, I love fintech because it uses technology to drive both the revenue side of a business how spend comes in and what is done with it, while also minimizing the cost the business has to take on to receive and manage this spend. Yeah, and listen folks, if that's not compelling enough, everyone should love FinTech because now you can Venmo your friends instead of losing in credit card roulette. Very true. We're gonna talk about the big trends going on in FinTech and the huge role MBAs are playing in this space. We have a great show planned today, bringing on our first professor guest. Get an academic up in here. Yeah as well as Fuqua alums at PayPal and Citibank. So, let's hear it, Yeezy. Yeezy! Our first guest is Marcella Bluise, a product manager for PayPal's business application. Marcella graduated from Fuqua in 2017. Marcella, thanks so much for coming on Tech Tac Toe. No, thank you. I'm happy. Welcome to Tech Tech Toe, Marcella. Our first question is really broad, and it, it really is about your journey to the financial services space. So, what what led you to a fintech company? Uh, so, before Fuqua, I worked for uh, almost five years in an e-commerce company, uh, a very small company startup in, in Mexico, and there I could see how. Um, like all the emerging markets are behind in in all this fintech and even like uh, paying uh, over the internet. So I really like that using PayPal as a merchant and other uh, tools that help people pay on the internet helped the small company that I worked in to grow, to um, acquire more customers that were maybe a little bit afraid of giving their credit card numbers to, to this like random new website. So uh, seeing how these tools and how uh, FinTech could help small companies uh, grow really interested me. And even as a country, uh, how these tools give the trust that people were needing to, to move towards these um e-commerce and uh, internet payments and everything like that. So that's why uh, when I started recruiting, I really uh, focused my my search on tech and especially on fintech. Great. 
And what was your recruitment process like at Fuqua, really focusing in the fintech space? recruiting at the end. Um, I also uh, focused on all the big companies that, that went to, to Fuqua, but I was coming for a, from a very small startup, so I didn't want a, uh, like a huge company. So I tried to find something uh, like in the small to mid size. Um, so I did a lot of off-campus. Uh, it's hard to get uh, like those first contacts that you need, um, but at the end, I also found out that there are many of those companies, especially the small ones, that are not as heavy networking process as you, as you might think. So uh, just um, sending a lot of resumes and sending a lot of emails really helped me to to do that first approach uh, that I needed. And then here at PayPal, um, they have. Um, kind of established recruiting process, but at the end it's not as uh, clear as, for example, in Microsoft or Amazon that you know that they go to campus one day and that you will have the answer in a certain date. So here it was more um, about uh, long waits and being uh, in touch with the with recruiter a lot, so it was um, long and basically off campus, but at the end uh, it went well. And for our listeners who want to know how to navigate that startup recruitment process, episode two, Live in the Startup Life, check it out on YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes. There you go. There you go. So, I mean, so what, what, what advice would you have for current MBAs right now? What do you think made you a successful candidate uh, in this process? Like, what did you do to ramp up in this space? changing a lot uh, all the time so if you really like it just keep yourself informed and uh, make sure that you're using the new technologies and that you're um, like for example here uh, at PayPal you really need to know the competition and what the other companies are doing uh, to see where like the industry is moving towards and also fintech is kind of broad so um, I've talked to some people that, okay, I don't have any finance background or I don't have any tech background. So they're just like normal companies. They need people where, from all departments. So there's not a specific uh, profile or a specific uh, job that they're recruiting for. So uh, if you like the industry, really look at the broader opportunities. Um, and that is the thing. Yeah, great. Uh, why do you think that an MBA or somebody pursuing a business degree could could really succeed in the fintech space? Um, I think that you develop a lot of skills during the MBA that will help uh, not only in fintech but in in every. Um, industry, but especially in tech in general, I think that something that the MBAs can bring to, to the table is uh, uh, like a bigger focus. Uh, mm-hmm. Here at PayPal, for example, they're very focused on the technology that they're working on or sometimes uh, the legal and compliance requirements. 
and sometimes like just going one step backwards and think about the customer, about the final user that is um, that is using the products every day. In my case, are small businesses or sole proprietors that uh, use the app every day to do like invoices or very simple tasks that sometimes are not that uh, tech savvy and that. Um, trying to do things so well in the engineering side might not be the right answer for the final user. So I think that that broader uh, point of view is something that uh, can really help and that are some skills that you develop during the MBA. Wow. Awesome. So uh, the Tech Club made a trip out to uh, the West Coast uh, this past October and it was really great to, to visit PayPal. There's so many awesome things that were going on there. Uh, seeing what what PayPal was thinking about in the future with augmented reality and how they're using AI right now, uh, very cool stuff. I mean, where do you see the financial services industry headed in the next five to ten years, and and, and how is technology going to drive this change? Uh, so I think that the biggest change will be seen in the less developed countries, uh, countries where they are not even using credit cards and they don't even have computers. So now they have smartphones, so they will be starting to use those to pay, and I think that in that those parts of the world will be the the ones that will see more development in the next few years. Um, and in general, I think that the society is moving towards a cashless uh, society. Like uh, we will still uh, every day pay more. Uh, on the internet or with, uh, of course, credit cards and uh, financial tools like that. Um, and I also like a lot the topic of cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Um, mm -hmm. I know there are many things happening here. I don't know where uh, they will evolve, but I'm sure that we will hear more about that yeah. in the future. To, to be continued. Now, it's really interesting you bring up a lot of the developing countries and incorporating blockchain and cryptocurrency. How do you see PayPal really continuing to act as a leading financial institution in these developing countries when a cryptocurrency such as blockchain or Ethereum could be available? very different uh, like target markets if you want to say it like that uh, I think that for those markets still PayPal has a long way to go uh, for example I'm right now working on the project for globalization of the app like right now it's only available in, in tech countries so uh, there's still a long way to go just in the internet payments and uh, crypto is also helping a lot uh, some of those emerging markets and uh, especially markets that are more closed to uh, to evolve in these uh, internet payments. But I still think that they're like in a different um, track. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, PayPal is not doing a lot with crypto. They're focusing more on the blockchain um, technology. But um, it's still like working for a great 
Very cool. Awesome. Well, hey, Marcella, thank you so much for taking time out to uh, be on Tech-Tac-Toe. Um, you've been a great supporter of Fuqua as an alumni, and I, I know I'll be on the West Coast this summer, and I can't wait to uh, talk more fintech during hopefully a Fuqua happy hour out there. Awesome. Let me know. Will do. Will do. Thanks, right. Marcella. Have a good one. Thank you, buddy. All right, folks, we got a special guest with us today. Cam Harvey is here. Cam Harvey is professor of finance at the Fuqua School of Business and a research associate of the National Bureau of Economic Research in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Professor Harvey received the 2015 and 2016 Best Paper Awards from the Journal of Portfolio Management for his research on distinguishing luck from skill. Over the past four years, Professor Harvey has taught innovation and crypto ventures at Duke University. Professor Harvey, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, I've not just taught this course. Um, it's extraordinary that in 2018, over half of the graduating class uh, for the Fuqua School of Business will have taken this course, Innovation and Crypto Ventures, which is a 100% blockchain uh, technology course. Awesome. And, and the other half is going to be listening to this podcast to make up for it. So we're going to need more than the podcast, I'm afraid. <laughs> we're going to be in the middle. So we're going to start off with some rapid fire questions. You know, I come from the credit card space and know a little bit, but let's say hypothetically, I have a podcast co-host who doesn't know as much about it, hypothetically. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about maybe uh, just if you could explain cryptocurrency in less than a minute to the highest level. Yeah, so it is the idea of digital currency which has failed many times since the early 1980s, and it's really simple intuition as to why digital currency has failed in the past. You can make a perfect copy. You make a perfect copy of a picture, of a video. Um, digitally, it's easy to make a perfect copy. So every single one failed until this idea of blockchain came along. And think of blockchain as making a digital currency uh, take the serial number and the currency very carefully. So you can't make a perfect copy. Everyone is unique. You cannot spend twice or counterfeit. doesn't make any sense. So that's where this cryptocurrency idea actually came from. The first thing we have is blockchain. So blockchain is an idea that stretches back to 1991 where it was applied in a different context and in terms of providing a timestamp and proof of existence. Um, it wasn't until 2009 that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder of Bitcoin, figured out that we could actually do um, a digital currency using blockchain technology. Blockchain actually solved the problem uh, of this uh, double spending and made digital currency viable. And so Bitcoin was the first of the cryptocurrencies. Now there's like over a thousand. Wow. So, so to make it uh, a little bit personal, if Bitcoin were an MBA student, what would they be like? Well, it's a computer program. That's it. So uh, it's very unusual system. It's a computer program that resides on many different computers. It's distributed. So there's no central control. There's no CEO of Bitcoin. It is a program that many people run. And that's it. It's got rules in the program. And it is what we call um, a distributed autonomous organization or a DAO in that it's a computer program that effectively employs people a computer program that's created enormous value. So 
this is much different than any, you know, human uh, MBA. It is completely. <laughs> uh, I thought we were perfect. Program. So you're no, not no, no, no. no. It'd be a smart student. It yes. Like. So. I know that Bitcoin went up to 20,000 US dollars per coin a few months ago. As a MBA student currently in a little bit of debt, how much Bitcoin should I buy right now? So I don't make investment recommendations, as you know. <laughs> so um, let's put it this way. Uh, last year, um, one of my students uh, decided to make a very small investment in Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And uh, last month he wrote me a very nice email thanking me um, because he just paid off his student debt. Wow! wow. With that, <laughs> it went up about a you know a thousand times. Sign so, me up. But look, beware here. Right. Um, this is not uh, something that is low risk. The volatility on an annualized basis is over a hundred percent. That compares the stock market is about 15%. Gold is 15%. US dollar 7%. This is 100%. So if you invest in any of these cryptocurrencies, you need to be willing or able to bear a loss of 95% of your initial investment. If it goes down 95% or 90%, it's about where it was last year. So it doesn't right. seem like that big of a deal to me. But for somebody buying in very high, you need to understand that the downside is very severe. Great. So I was wondering if you could uh, walk us through a little bit about your innovation and in crypto ventures class, some of the topics that you discuss, and really specifically why you think it's relevant for an MBA to learn about these topics. Yeah, as I said, it's um, extraordinary that over half the 2018 class took my blockchain course. So again, my course is an interdisciplinary course, it is uh, not just a cryptocurrency course, even though we talk somewhat about cryptocurrencies, we talk about many different business applications of blockchain technology. The course is a STEM certified course, which means it is technical. And I am a firm believer that students need to understand what's under the hood in considerable detail. There's a lot of people out there uh, BSing about a blockchain or adding blockchain to their company name um, and just like spinning a blockchain. And my students need to be able to cut through that to figure out what's actually going on. So there are technical topics like the cryptographic security that's used in terms of uh, securing blockchain, which is um, uh, a secure hashing algorithm. Uh, we learn uh, many new terms that you're not familiar with unless you're deep into uh, cryptology and computer science. Um, but in the end, the course is called Innovation and Crypto Ventures. Mm -hmm. And the innovation part of the course is where the students put together a 15-page pitch deck on a new business idea that is related to blockchain. That is over half their grade. And the wow. focus of the course is not just technical, but on the innovation part. Interesting, okay. So as Josh and I were looking into internships, uh, this being our first year in business school, I started to see you know, internships and jobs in this space. Can you talk a bit broadly about what, if, if you were an MBA student, what kind of you know, roles or jobs you would look for if you wanted to enter a blockchain company or a company that's, you know, aligned in this space? So, again, in my course, we cover 
almost every single industry. And blockchain provides uh, a sort of peer-to-peer -peer, uh, disruption. So any sort of situation where there's a thick layer of middle people is prime for disruption. Hmm. And in the past, uh, look, this year I had zero first-year students in my course, which was disappointing. It got and we, we tried. We yeah, tried. It I was filled up. It was filled up. <laughs> I actually opened a third section to get first years into my course because I saw in the past how powerful it was for them in their internships to make an impact. Yeah. Where just immediately people went to them because they knew that this Fuqua student uh, knew something about blockchain. They wanted to learn, and uh, it led to uh, full-time offers. For, for the students right now, there's two types of opportunities. So number one opportunity obviously is to go to a startup in this space. And there's a huge number of startups in this space. The number two opportunity is to go to, uh, let's call it a legacy firm who is desperate um, because they understand both the threat and the potential opportunity uh, that blockchain technology presents. So, so I think it's almost like a, like a no-lose situation, mm -hmm. either going to a startup or going to a legacy firm. You're going to be in demand for what you know uh, in this space. Very exciting. So wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk and get your insight into the landscape itself. So do you really see this virtual currency? We see it a lot in Bitcoin and BitPay, my undergraduate alma mater, Georgia Tech, actually takes BitPay at our football stadium, for example. Do you see it being a bigger transformational role there or in trading with Bitcoin and initial coin offerings? Uh, so right now, it's fairly early in the technology. And there's a number of issues that need to be overcome that basically we've got in the pipeline to deal with. So for example, in Bitcoin, it, the transactions take at least 10 minutes, and the transaction cost is fairly high. And the number of transactions you can do per second is very small compared to, let's say, Visa. All of these issues um, basically will go away when we put uh, a second layer on top of Bitcoin. And that second layer is called Lightning Network. And we spend a considerable amount of time in my course uh, dealing with that. And that means that transactions are, are basically instant. Transaction wow. costs are, are trivial. And you need to think about the world and how it changes when transaction costs are close to zero. It means you can be paid in real time and even very small amounts. And of course, and this is crucial to think about, we're so used to thinking in the credit card mode where you use the card to pay for something. With this technology, it goes both ways. You could be paid also. So you try set up, setting up a credit card facility. That is not easy to actually do. So you could be paid instantly, securely, efficiently, at very low cost, as well as paying. Indeed, this technology, there's no difference between like a consumer, a retailer, a banker, a regulator. Everybody's the same. Everybody's a peer. Interesting. And so there has been a lot of times when this discussion comes about, there are folks who are in this legacy mindset that speak about potentially a dark underbelly that comes with 
of folks using Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So this is like a myth, big time. So, and it and basically, it is true that at the beginning of Bitcoin, it got a lot of free publicity because it was being used by criminals. For example, the Silk Road website, mm-hmm. everything, all the drugs and whatever they were selling, quoted in Bitcoin. And, and frankly, the criminals didn't really understand the blockchain technology. Because if they understood it, I think they would have been hesitant to actually use the technology. So number one point is that every single transaction is recorded forever in a ledger that anybody can see, the plain text of the transaction. So if you're linked to that transaction, then justice is swift. Nobody can change it. So you are there forever. So indeed, Bitcoin is probably the last thing a criminal should use for some sort of transaction. You use what's anonymous and that's cash. Cash is anonymous. So Bitcoin is only anonymous in that, um, and some people that do this ransomware send to this address. Um, so that's anonymous, but to get the money out, then you're gonna reveal who you are. So it's a very poor technology uh, for anonymity. Um, and I, I should also mention that there are other cryptocurrencies that are, are more anonymous than Bitcoin. Yeah. So to all our criminal listeners out there, don't use Bitcoin, <laughs> stick with cash. Well, hey, thank you so much for painting this picture for us. It sounds like this transitioning is happening faster than I would have expected it to be. Do you think in five or 10 years, students will be paying their Fuqua tuition in <laughs> cryptocurrency? Well, actually, uh, I tried to make that happen a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, and, and again, it is a, a process where people are just not used to it. So um, a lot of people are hesitant to do it because there's certain regulatory issues like know your customer. But there's no difference between a credit card swipe and a crypto swipe. Mm-hmm. In both cases, you need to know your customer. So it's just a matter of applying the same standard regulations and this will be much more widespread uh, in adoption. I think it's kind of interesting looking at the overall landscape that certain countries there's more need for uh, cryptocurrency adoption where you've got um, a currency that's unstable or you've got a system where potentially millions of people are unbanked. Indeed, in the world, there are 2.5 billion people that are unbanked. Mm -hmm. And what this innovation offers is if you have a smartphone, and most of those 2.5 billion have a smartphone, then you've got your own bank. And you can join the the world of the internet uh, and internet commerce with this capability. So, so this offers a lot of upside and we're at the very early stages. Great. What an exciting time. Professor Harvey, thank you so yeah. much for being thank on Tech Tech Toe. I, along with Josh and many others, look forward to taking your class next year. Uh, appreciate the time. Yeah. Okay, cool. Really excited. Great talking to you. Today we're with Chris Burns a vice president at Citibank, leading their digital marketing initiatives for their Citibank cards business, really focusing on bringing in new customers. Chris also graduated Fuqua class of 2014. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Hey, happy to be here. So great to have you on Tech Tech Toe, Chris. So let's get it started with just uh, 
asking what led you to financial services and, and fintech? Oh yeah, that's a great question. So I, um, it, for me, it really started with function. You know, I like to build things. I like to design. Uh, I went into business school thinking, coming from consulting, but really realizing that I wanted to be more of a general manager and own a product or own a process and P&L. So uh, with that kind of general management mindset, you know, I was looking around, you know, what's, what's something that we use every day that uh, is a relevant, kind of cool, disruptive part of our lives. And to me, that was the payment technology. So uh, it actually, it's kind of a funny story. I was, I think it was the first week of business school, and the dean mentioned, you know, in a speech what he, what he thought a great business school should be. And it was uh, three things. It was global, interconnected, relationship-based. And lastly, it was disrupted. So to me, those, those qualities really work for business school, but they also really work for uh, what I found at Citibank. It's a big global bank. It's very uh, lateral, kind of matrix organizations, so relationship-based, and a tremendous agent for change. Uh, we're big and disruptive, and the, the joke around here is that the C in city stands for change. So we're, we're certainly not afraid of, of taking big steps, uh, and uh, you just sometimes it's, you know, uh, Oh, it gets a little hectic, but that's all part of the fun. Yeah, very cool, especially for a company of that size staying nimble. So what are some of the fintech-specific projects you're working on now? Sure. So from an acquisitions perspective, um, you know, I, I am aware of all of the different uh, technologies out there, you know, so you know, facial recognition for, you know, uh, contactless payments and, you know, checkout and P2P payments and things like that. But from an acquisitions perspective, we're most interested in the technology that puts the right product, marketing message, and offer in front of the customer in a digital experience. So to that extent, on citycards.com and a lot of our other own properties, we're using big data and machine learning to try to figure out, you know, who is coming to our site and what is the best way to market to them. And machine is far faster and smarter uh, than, unfortunately, my entire floor of people. So uh, we trust the machine a whole lot. Uh, and it's in, it's in kind of a constant learning mode where there is a predictive, uh, so a certain amount of traffic comes to the site, there's a big predictive segment of that where the machine shows, you know, based on the customer's cookies, what sites they visited, the, you know, the time of day that they're visiting our page, it finds a lookalike, uh, you know, in the model and says, okay, I think I know who this is. We're going to show them the double cash credit card uh, with an 18-month balance transfer offer, and we're going to have the headline say, earn cash back twice, because that seems to work for that, that, in, that in the model. So. The machine will do that for a good predictive segment. We'll also have kind of a testing segment of the volume as well. And on top of that, there's even a random segment where we'll kind of do a, a, a end of match of offer uh, uh, and, uh, and marketing message. And the goal actually is to outperform the random every single time. If the machine finds that its predictive segment is losing to the random volume, then it's, it's going to readjust. So yeah. it's pretty cool. It happens thousands of times an hour. And uh, it's, it's uh, kind of the, the future, I guess, of digital marketing. As a, as a proud city double cash card holder, y'all got me. So it's doing, yeah. doing something right now. What you, you spoke about a lot of really great terms and trends that we've covered in Tech-Tac-Toe, uh, machine learning and AI. What is your role as a vice president within this space? What are some of the responsibilities that you're really driving for that technology? Yeah. So ultimately, we want the technology to work for us. Um, you know, the tech is great, but, but tech for tech sake, you know, does, doesn't really do anything for you. Uh, so with the machine, we really want to make sure that it's working towards our business needs. So we still have a team 
of analysts and modelers who figure out, you know, based on our P&L, you know, what, what type of customer do we need to bring in the door? Uh, those actually become inputs and parameters for the model. So uh, the machine knows, oh, yeah, I can't just acquire anybody. You know, for this specific product, here's a range of, you know, customer types that are acceptable. Um, on top of that, you know, it's, uh, it's ultimately about conversion, too. So, you know, you have to find within that acceptable segment, there might be four or five different types of behaviors that the machine can identify and then optimize the marketing message and offer for. It's uh, again, it's fast. It's much more intelligent and, and complicated than than our, our whole team of people can be. But we ultimately do guide it with uh, with inputs from the business, uh, and also from our own kind of marketing perspective, we do have limits on you know, okay, you can't take the landing page orange, for example. You know, you have to it has to be blue or green. You know, we do mm-hmm. we do set bounds uh, creatively around the machine as well, but. Who knows? I mean, in, in that case, you know, we're, we're working in kind of the, the model that's worked before, you know, where, hey, when you come to citycards.com, you expect it to look a certain way. Uh, you expect a digital experience to work a certain way. You have brand perceptions, you know, based on commercials and things like that. So we, we are still trying to manage, you know, within that same mold. But who knows? In the future, it could be drastically different. Um, in the future, for example, our customer might not even be a, a – human that's filling out the application. It might be an AI uh, who's in charge of, you know, a customer's financial uh, planning and is interested in opening a line of credit on behalf of the of the customer. So, you know, that obviously that steps well, well out there, but it certainly is possible. And hopefully with the foundation and the stuff that we're putting in place now, we'll be able to accommodate that, uh, you know, should that, should that future ever happen. Exciting, yeah, yeah, exciting stuff on the horizon. So, so while Josh and my parents tend to be the biggest fans of this show, um, <laughs> I, w- I would say our target audience is is other MBAs and prospective MBAs. So, what advice would you have for MBAs or prospective MBAs that are looking to to join you in the fintech field? Yeah, I think well, you got to ask questions. Uh, you know, that's that's how you kind of get your foot in the door. You know, you, you try to figure out how. What you, you know, you figure out what the people are doing, what the company's about, and you know, culture-wise, do you fit, and what's the opportunity like? So, but that's that's really true of anything, um, you know, in any any sort of career search. I would say specific to fintech, it, you know, the, the 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 piece that's like missing, I guess, in fintech is like fintech business or fintech P and L, because I said like tech for tech's sake doesn't get you anywhere, and that that mm-hmm. largely is. I mean, it's, it's true to a certain extent. You, you, you do have to make the tech work for you. Like, you know, when people think of fintech, they think like like blockchain or, like I said, the, you know, facial recognition, EMB chips, blockchain ledgers, and, you know, things that are, are disruptive to the bank. But they're, those aren't really selling points to the customer. I mean, ultimately, like EMB security, for example, like that's table stakes. Uh, facial recognition or, you know, uh, uh, NFC wallets and things like that. Like, it's, again, it's table stakes. When we're selling our products to the customer, it's it's about the offer, it's about the line of credit, it's about the marketing. Uh, ultimately, those things aren't going to be replaced. I mean, they'll, they'll be augmented by these things, but you really can't uh, survive as a business if you know customers aren't paying you for something. And if you're if you're the thing you can only offer is technology table stakes, you know it's not as uh, you know you're, you're not going to get anywhere too fast. Um, like the blockchain, for example, that's a great way to keep costs down uh, for us. But our business thrives on bringing in new customers. Every new customer that I come 
see a shift in in how customers use credit. Um, but things that we you know consider today, like a balance transfer offer, or uh, you know people earn points and don't use them, so there's some some breakage built in there, late fees, uh, you know all the kind of the the fees and interest and things like that 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 make us money. Um, Unless there's something drastic, like I mentioned, kind of like the AI working on behalf of a, of a customer. So yeah, in the future, right? If the customers manage uh, their finances with a, with a machine that can, you know, avoid every late payment ever, and you know, do a balance transfer that the customer always comes out on top, or doesn't, you know, avoids all these payments. Yeah. Sure. Then, but then we're all in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I would say, uh, you know, not only is it tech and uh, understanding tech, but making sure that it it works for your business and works for your P and L. Yeah. The machine learning for marketing, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we spoke uh, a month or two ago on the phone and you painted this really interesting picture about how a payment or a transaction might occur uh, 10, hopefully only five years down the road. I would love to hear you kind of describe that to our audience and really speak about the role that these uh, traditional players, your city banks and your traditional payments companies would play in it. Absolutely. So, um, well, I might be a little hazy on the specifics of what I said earlier. Um, you know, in the future, you're going to be shopping for something. You might not have a city card in your wallet. You will see, you know, throughout the perhaps the checkout path or when you're ultimately ready to check out. Um, you know, an, an application or a I can hopefully, from my perspective, a piece of marketing that uh, entices you, you know, and, and gets you thinking about the product or the brand. But then, when that payment happens, or sorry, well, let me back up a little bit. So when you when you do would see that uh, piece of marketing, uh, you know, you'd have to apply for the product, right? And in today's um, environment, you you know, you'd apply. I think in some cases, we do an instant authorization where you can begin using that line of credit right away, and then later in the week, the, the card will show up in the mail. But in the future, I mean, forget about all that. You can tell when someone's about to check out based on the information that's available in the digital world who this person is, what they've shopped, you know, what, what they've purchased before, uh, credit score, all the things, all of these things like that. And you can actually make a decision about whether to allow that purchase on credit right then and there. Uh, it's almost like a flexible, it's not necessarily like a, fixed line of credit, like, oh, every, every month, you know, you can only go up to $1,000, and that's it. Like, you can evaluate or should be able to evaluate in the near future every single purchase at point of purchase. So if you, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you, we see the money coming in, we see what you're buying, we see, so we see the money going out, um, we know what you're buying, when you're buying, and all of these behaviors and things like that, we can better evaluate the risk. And uh, to couple that onto the, the, you know, kind of payment fintech piece of that, we should be able to do that whether you're paying, you know, contactlessly with a mobile phone and your thumbprint. So again, it's not card present, but card member present. We can biologically ensure that you're actually at the location where you're doing the shopping. So there's another element of risk that can be measured and, and scored appropriately. So the, the future is similar, I guess, in the sense that you are getting what you paid for. You hopefully are enjoying using that line of credit. But the actual execution of it is far more flexible, uh, far more digital and, and dynamic, and it's it's instantaneous. So I think if you think of like uh, like uh, what's a yeah, stupid example, but like the Wizard of Oz, you know, like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. There's all this. Hey, that's Nikhil's favorite movie. Head. That's not a stupid example. Yes, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Love it. And if you if you think of that, I mean, think of all 
I guess in the Wizards' case, it, it wasn't so much magic. It was just, you know, him, him faking it and, and fooling everybody. But in our case, yeah, there's a lot of real cool stuff going on behind the scenes. But to the customer, it's this wonderful and smooth experience. And you're just like, oh, yeah, why, why shouldn't it work this way? Yeah. Very cool. Cool. Well, hey, Chris, thank you so much for bringing your experience to uh, Fuqua, uh, you know, and the Tech Tech Toe family. You know, it's always great to hear about the awesome things that our alumni are doing back in the real world. And uh, no, we really, really appreciate the time. Yeah. So if you're interested in anything fintech, and I can definitely say Chris is one of the biggest Duke basketball fans I've ever talked to. So if you like fintech or Duke basketball, Citibank is the place. To be. It was an exciting year. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's kind of, you, you realize how fortunate you are when, you know, the Elite Eight feels somewhat disappointing. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, awesome team. They're fun to watch. Yeah, always next year. Great. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, there you go. That's our show on FinTech. So many great conversations on such an exciting topic. Hope you learned something new. I know we did. Hey, if you have any questions, feedback, or general just pats on the back, reach out to us at techtactoepod at gmail.com. Everyone have a safe and productive summer. We look forward to catching up on the flip side. That was our finger snapping.